0: Welcome to the Powerful Beyond Measure podcast, where we discuss personal development, business skills and lifestyle. My name is André Detoy, and I am the Big Positive Guy.
1: My name is Abigail Kaye, the Confidence Crusader, and our intention is to inject a dash of optimism that's both practical and educational, but always intended to be thought-provoking.
0: We certainly don't have all the answers, but we want to invite you to join the conversation as we discover together how to live a confident, happy and successful life. Good morning, everyone. How are you this morning?
1: Good you, Andre. We've
0: got a lovely special guest today, Robin Hay from Robin Hay Attorneys. Hello, Robin. Hello, Andre. Thank you so much for letting us use your boardroom.
2: You're very welcome.
0: It's very kind. This morning we're discussing legally savvy with Robin Hay. It's all those legal questions that we don't know the answers to. Robin, who are you? Where do you come from?
2: <laughs> I am a lawyer, and okay. I come from Cape Town, Fantastic. and I have been in Cape Town my whole life.
0: Fabulous. What I've got
2: you started in this industry? Well, I wanted to be a lawyer ever since I was a little girl. I've okay. never, ever wanted to be anything else. I'm one of the few people that really, like from day one, knew what I wanted to do. And I got into law because I have an overdeveloped sense of justice, um, <laughs> and because I really like people's stories. And law is an opportunity to listen to people's stories and tell people's stories. Wow.
0: And I know you from quite a few different spaces. I've seen yeah. you at the Business Women's Association, I've seen you at BNI. And your name keeps popping up. Every time I look on social media, there's Robin Hayes speaking about this and Robin Hayes speaking about that. Tell me a little bit more about that.
2: So I chaired the Business Women's Association in Cape Town for okay. four and a half years. And through that, I just developed so many new business skills and networks and also saw the need for entrepreneurs to get access to accessible legal information. Um, I also work with BNI, which is a business business networking international and Again, with small businesses, um, growing businesses, it's really important that entrepreneurs get access to information that they ordinarily wouldn't. Um, law is probably the most boring topic to talk about, if you're not a lawyer. <laughs> Lawyers love it, but everybody else not so much. So I started incorporating story- storytelling, case studies, examples from my own practice um, of what really can go wrong and how to avoid that. And it's really taken off. People really want the information.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic.
1: I personally love how you bring a whole kind of different energy to the perception that us lay, you know, public have of what a lawyer is. And and I've seen you talk, and I've been a client, and it's just, I, I love you. Like, <laughs> if there is a thing, if, if, if you know, lawyers, I think, have a bad rep. Yeah. And I think you're totally breaking that mold, and and you. particularly, I love that,
0: that about you. you. And just to introduce my partner, Abigail, the legal groupie. It's
1: yeah.
2: no, that, very awkward. Abigail.
0: In business, uh, we've discussed this before when we did our section on business plans. Yes. There is normally a section that starts off and very often the first part of the business plan says, what legal requirements do we have to run a business? So So maybe we can start off with that and, and, and please be kind to us. We, sure. we are not attorneys. Uh, so we're trying to make this nice and simple. When I start the, a business, what are those first questions I should be asking my, my attorney?
2: So that's a really, really good question. And if more people asked those questions before they started in business, we'd have fewer problems. The thing that you, The first question you need to ask yourself is, does my industry have any requirements? So, for example, if you want to open a law practice, you can only be a sole proprietor, which is somebody who works for themselves and no entity at all. A partnership or an incorporated entity so that's what my industry says um, if your industry doesn't have any requirements then the next question is am I going to be tendering for work at any point so am I going to be tendering at government is this being set up to do a specific project because often tender documents have requirements that you are a private company or a trust or whatever so you need to look at that then you need to look at why am I setting up this business. So if you are setting up a charity and you want to operate with other people's money, then you need to have certain structures in place to give you credibility and to keep you protected from the risks of doing business. So then you would need an entity. But if you are just going into business, you don't, and it's just you, you don't need to have the most complicated legal structure in the world. You can just start. If your business grows, you can then convert your business into an entity. But often, people get quite bogged down in the structure before it starts. Mm. The most, I know uh, that lawyers are always famous for saying that the answer to every question is, it depends. But Mm. the answer to every question is, it depends. So it really depends on you and what you want to achieve. But it's really important that you speak to a lawyer that understands business, Mm. that they can actually advise you on when to convert, what you should do, if there's more than one of you, your risks are different. So those are the kind of factors we take into consideration.
0: Can kind a of sole proprietor have more than one more than one person?
2: No, then you become a partnership. Okay. So I'm not the biggest fan of partnerships okay. because it, it's not um, it doesn't have longevity. So even if you never fall out with your partner, if your partner dies, the partnership dissolves, if the partnership goes insolvent, all of you are sequestrated, it's all very dramatic. The minute there's more than one person, I prefer to structure a company. Because so does that easy. include a
0: secretary, not a partnership? No, no, a... no, I'm
2: talking about two owners of a business. They're
0: two owners. And yeah. If I've got uh, workers that no, I want that's to have, fine. still it's stay under sole sole proprietorship. Yeah,
2: there'll come a time where you can't, where you, that business just can't function as a sole proprietorship. Okay. Um, especially if you're going to start signing lease agreements, a lot of the time because you've got the protection of the Consumer Protection Act. If you're an indi- uh, individual versus a company, um, they won't, you know, commercial landlords won't sign with individuals. Oh, yeah. Photocopiers you can't get if you're an individual. It's very difficult. So there are all sorts of um, things to bear in mind when as your business grows, and also as your business grows, there are tax implications. And do you really want to have personal liability for staff? You know, you, it, it's a li- business is a living thing. Sure. So the other thing, it's a bit like, you know, you can't you can't buy a house and never maintain it. Yeah. It's going to lose its value. Yeah. You can't start a business and never maintain uh-huh. it. So as your business grows and changes, you need to make sure that you have got on your war council, which I think everybody needs, a lawyer, an accountant, somebody who understands marketing, somebody who understands HR, that you've got a living relationship with them. So you can pick up the phone and say, We're gonna buy our first property, what should I do? Or I'm hiring my first staff member, what should I do? And actually have a relationship that that is has got legs that you can mm-hmm. actually grow together.
1: So as a lawyer, do you um going back to your one of your early points? That um, depending on the industry that you're in. So do do you have to know then every industry to be able to advise accordingly? Um, no, I don't have to know every single industry. I wish I did.
2: But <laughs> um, the one of the things about law is that we know we know generally what industry is required. But if you're going into a specific, and you'll know if you're a doctor what you yeah, can yeah, do. Yeah. If you're a lawyer, it's really only the professions. Okay. And also, you will bring us the tender documents, for example, and you'll say, look, this is the requirement. And we'll oh. say, okay, well, then you need to set up a company. Okay. And we ask those kind of questions. Do you know whether there are any regulations in your industry? So if you have always been an engineer, you will know what you can do. Yes. If you've always been a lawyer, you'll know what you can do. If yeah. I wanted to sound
0: very clever, and I was walking into your office for the first time, and I said, I'm starting a business, and I'm starting a business as a photographer, professional speaker, and I wanted to ask you three things. What would those three things be?
2: Um, so you want to ask me three things so you mm. look very clever. So
0: I look very clever, so I know which questions are that I should be asking.
2: <laughs> asking a lawyer.
0: I'm asking okay, okay lawyer, so yes. the first
2: thing you should ask a lawyer is what do they specialize in.
0: Okay.
2: So it's pointless going to a criminal lawyer if you have got a commercial problem. Uh-huh. It's a bit like you're not going to go to a cardiologist if you have a brain tumor. It's the sure. okay. so same thing. Okay. Um, there are general practitioners but more and more law is becoming bigger and bigger as a field and you tend to specialize. Um, I wouldn't get divorced with me. I don't do divorces, for example. So that, that's the first question okay. I would ask. So we're looking for a commercial lawyer. You're looking for a In commercial business, lawyer. I'm
0: looking for a specialist commercial lawyer. Correct. Okay.
2: The second question I would ask is, what is your fee structure? Okay. So don't be afraid to ask that. People seem to to think that they can't ask that of their lawyer, and lawyers actually, believe it or not, don't like talking about money. No. So what tends to happen if you're not, don't, not with a lawyer who's experienced is you all tend to awkwardly avoid the issue of fees and somebody gets unhappy. So ask up front: is there a fee for the first consultation? What what do you think the anticipated fee is? Does that, if you, for example, we quote um, a, certain, uh, a certain amount for a first draft and one round of comments of a document. Okay. And that includes the consultation and everything. But some people charge only by the hour, some people charge on a contingency basis. So you need to ask those questions. And the third question that you can ask is who do you have any other clients that are that are in the same position as me? Do you work in this industry?
0: That's a nice question. Yeah. Okay.
1: I like that. It. No, it's so yeah. knowing that you've got experience. Yes, exactly. Okay. So what you can't what as a lawyer, even the fact that
2: we have a specific client is privileged. So you we can't you can't say to me, give me the name of three clients. Mm. Because we have to get permission from our clients to do that. But we can say, yes, I've worked with photographers before, or we've done a lot of work for independent service providers, or I understand the speaking industry, or whatever mm. it is.
1: Mm. Okay. Well, that's very useful. Yeah. And don't be afraid of a lawyer.
2: Mm. They're more afraid of you than you are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, as an entrepreneur, if you're starting out on your, your entrepreneurial journey, what would you say... What would you say uh, they should prioritize in terms of getting their legal ducks in a row? Yes. So uh, the most important thing
2: is you need to know what you need to do, what you want to do. So you need to know I'm going in this on my own, I'm gonna, or I'm going in with a business partner. And if you're going in with a business partner, business partner A is going to do these 10 things in the business, and business partner B is going to do those 10 things. This is how our salaries are going to be structured. This is the bonus payment. This is when we're going to declare dividends, things like that. Once you know how your business is supposed to sound, then you come to a lawyer and we will give it a voice. Okay. So the first thing we will do is we will say to you, okay, let's assume you're going to set up a company. We will draft what's called your memorandum of incorporation. Okay. If necessary, a shareholder's agreement. This is not necessary to start off with unless there's more than one of you and or you are in an industry where you want the protection of a company. The second thing that I would absolutely, I cannot tell you enough how important it is, is to make sure that your terms and conditions of your clients are perfect. Do not down, I've seen terms and conditions, clients have come to me and I say, who drafted this? No, 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 a lawyer did. I can see it's been downloaded because the High Court of Quebec is the (laughs) governing (laughs) jurisdiction. So I'm like, oh no. Not unless you went all the way to Canada to get this, you did not get a lawyer to draft this. So... You need to have terms and conditions that comply with legislation. And also, if your terms say, "I we don't charge interest, you can't charge interest. If your terms say payment on seven days, you can't demand payment on two days. So your terms and conditions actually are, in a sense, the suit your business wears when it goes out into the market. Mm. And then the third thing is your HR contracts. Your staff are your biggest risk. So the third thing I would... Prioritize is your staff and contract. So your staff are your biggest risk. You pay often your salary bill is your biggest cost, and your your um, staff have access to your client base. You need to regulate all of that. So those are the three that I would prioritize.
0: Robin, I feel like I should be taking notes. Yeah, you my, really should. My, my, my finger is itching to start taking. But notes. the <laughs> we've
2: got it recorded. 20. But <laughs> the minute you take notes, and I have to bill you. Ah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> isn't, isn't it like a ten-step program or something? Yeah. You know, like
2: orientation. Five
0: things you should be asking yourself.
2: You know, we've got, I've got one client that I have the, humo- the hugest amount of admiration for. Um, it's They're a, an engineering, in the engineering industry, and they came to us and they said, look, we've been operating, we're very good engineers, but it turns out we don't know anything about business. But we're making money, so that's good. What, what we want to do is we want you to come into our business and we want you to do a due diligence and say, what do we need? And so what we did was we set up a structure with them and we went in and we said, we, and, you know, I know people think lawyers are out to bill you to your grave, but actually, no, mm. we've got other clients too, you know. Mm. So we went in and we said, okay, you need these six things. This is approximately what it's going to cost. And yeah. we set up a project and every month we just did one or two things and now their business is actually in a position where it can be sold wow. because everything, their business has been growing. We've been looking after their, um, the legal side of things. And now the one you know, there's there's an opportunity if if somebody comes along they can just sell that business. Mm. It's clean, it's perfect.
0: Mm. That's, a, that's such an interesting <clears throat> point you just made because we've we've been concentrating on what you need to do to found the company, start the company. But obviously, there's a much bigger picture in, in the company. Is it a sellable company? What does it need to look like five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road? Do you want to comment on that, perhaps?
2: Yes, so people tend to... Lawyers are a grudge purchase. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, yippee, I'm going to go see my lawyer. Notwithstanding the fact that we really are lovely. Of um, <laughs> of course. No, of course. So, so one of the things that people do is they only come and see a lawyer when there's a problem. But in our practice, what we really proud of is the fact that we cons- we are business future proofers so we will give you advice throughout your business cycle from starting up to running to if you have to close or evolve or dissolve your business we'll be able to help you with that and I find that clients that see us as part of their team firstly have lower legal fees because they're not asking for urgent work so it's not going to be done all at once rush job, not proper instructions they've got time and secondly, they, they, they invest in their legal fees and their legal structures over a period. So as, they, as their business grows, they have a relationship with me. So they can phone me and say, remember when we did this? And I can go, oh, yes, now I remember that. Whereas if I had never worked with them in the past, we'd first have to get up to speed and make a time and sort things out. So for me, business owners need to be, they need to be less afraid of professional advice. Hmm. Um, there's a and I, I'm terrible, like i I get very nervous about my accounting because I'm not the world's best numbers person. Um, when it comes to my own business, I can read my clients' financials and see what the problems are there. But for my own business, I get very nervous. So I make sure that I meet with my accountant every month, that my my management accounts are always up to date, that my bookkeeper knows exactly what's going on at any point. And that's what you need to do with your lawyer. If you know that you've got projects coming up or, there's some, something's not right, you just want to bond something off your attorney, then just pick up the phone and ask them. If you've built a, built a relationship with that attorney, they're not going to bill you for every 22 seconds that you're on the phone with them.
1: So then you've brought up billing. And so I know personally, from my experience, it, it becomes this, as you've already mentioned, this gray area that yeah. nobody wants to talk about. And and you hear things via the grapevine that the, you know a lawyer charges on a per-word basis or something yeah. like that. So what is the truth of the matter? How... How do those different um, billing structures work? So it's
2: it's really is actually quite a fraught area, even within the industry at the moment, because with the changing laws on competition, the changing regulations within the legal um, fraternity, it's actually a bit, a bit stressful for us as well. Ordinarily, lawyers either bill, they bill in normally three ways. So either on, on an hourly rate, and there it depends on how long they spend on your matter. And that is normally most appropriate for litigation matters. So where you are, you can't actually, I can't tell you how much this is going to cost you. Mm. I can say from milestone to milestone. So to issue a summons will be about this. To apply for summary judgment will be about that. Mm. But I can't give you a set number because Mm. there's negotiations. There's Mm. It's far higher risk work. Um, Oh, well, not high risk, but from a fee quoting perspective, it's high risk. Then you've got your commercial work and there... For example firms like like mine we quote for a fixed fee for the consultation the first draft and one round of comments okay so the better your instructions are to the lawyer that might actually be fine you may so we will say it's x number of rands for this and you may never pay anything else Um, and then the third one is a contingency fee and that's often appropriate in Cases where you've got um, personal injury or um, road accident fund matters, and their um, firms actually specialize in extracting value on a contingency fee basis. So you don't pay anything up front, but the lawyers take a percentage at the end. Mm. That's very difficult for a a smaller firm to do if you're not a specialist RAF firm or a specialist um, personal injury firm. So we don't work on contingency basis as a general rule, Mm. because we have to then carry all your costs all the way to the very end. But different law
1: firms work on a different basis. The most important thing is just to be up front. Yeah. And then and then we are well within our rights then to say, please give me a quote or a roundabout. So
2: I mean I mean one of my one of the things that I'm always surprised at is I'll say to a client, This is going to cost you so much money. And there's a reason I can't give you figures because we're not allowed to give figures. So that's why we're not we why not? because we're a lot of talent for work, we can't compete on price. Oh. So I can't sit here and say it costs you okay. how much money it will cost you if you go with me. So yes. in case you think I'm being evasive, that's not bad. <laughs> um, I'm trying to, you know, stay okay. a lawyer okay. as opposed to the society, throw me <laughs> out. So um, uh, we will quote a client and we will come in just below or just above that quote. And clients will always, if if we're we just if we, if we are just above it or just below it, they'll always say, oh, but you said it was this amount. I'm like... Yes, see. You know, this is time based. We're doing the best we can. Yeah. But the most important thing is to get is to get a quote up front and understand that if you phone your lawyer two hundred and eighty-seven times in a day, we're going to go over your quote.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Because we're giving you advice. Yeah. And you know, people will always say, "Oh, but you know, just only a letter." No, no, it wasn't a letter. It was a letter that I've spent fifteen years practicing and studying and understanding in order to write. Okay. So you need to also let your lawyer do their job. Yeah. It's cheaper.
0: Yeah. You're so right that it's a great purchase, though, because it's so critical, Yeah. but when you come along and say, well, listen, I'd like to have a series of photographs, and you know, you're know, you only spending an hour with me, well, the reality is you're spending you're finding exactly. 10 or 15 years of experience and my 200,000 rands worth of equipment, so exactly. we understand exactly where you're coming from. One of the things I'd like to ask is, can I save any money by doing any pre-work? Let me give you an example. Yes. Abigail and I have become world famous, powerful beyond measure is now watched by hundreds of thousands of people. And we've decided As to we incorporate it, this, like we know it would, after the Robin Hay interview. <laughs> yes. And now what happens, we've got hundreds of thousands of listeners, and now we want to start a business together. We want to have this thing incorporated. Yep. And we're to look at questions, of what happens when Andre retires? How are we going to yep. split the revenue? Would it help you if we sat and thought out some of these things yes. that we want to then come to you and say, here's our list of... Team like to have
2: absolutely. If the more work you will do conceptually around how your business want you want your business to run, the better. And people sometimes go, Oh, well, I don't know where to start. We don't care about whether you understand the law. We just want to know what do you want to achieve. We'll reverse engineer a solution for you okay. if we can. But you tell us this is how we want it to look, and we'll we'll do what we can to get you to that point. Mm-hmm. One of the things I do if a client says to me I want to start a business is I send them a questionnaire for them and their business partner. And I say, you need to think about these 10 things. And the answer of the to those 10 questions will help me to draft agreements for you or draft your memorandum of incorporation in a way that is meaningful to you. And it also then cuts your consultation time down. It protects everybody. It helps you to know what wh- where you're going. And it also forces you to think about these things. Hmm. And I found that to be one of the most useful tools in my practice, where we actually encourage clients to do the critical thinking for themselves.
0: So I'd get my letter of incorporation from the Quebec Society for Law. Yes, precisely. Read through some of the things and then say, listen, I don't like that. I'd like it to be something slightly different.
2: Or what does this mean? Mm. And that's one of the things that amazes me is, you know, like part of the litigation process, we often draft affidavits for clients. It's a a sworn statement that you are making. And we take your information and we put it into an affidavit. And we send it to you and we say, read this. If there are any mistakes any factual inaccuracies anything that we've misunderstood because obviously it's communication please let us know and a client will come back and go no, i don't need to read it uh, no you really do mm. so read what your lawyer sends you don't be afraid of those words on the page yeah and don't be afraid to say actually that's not what i said or now that i look at it again I, that's not quite what i want or this agreement i know i said we want payment on seven days but I spoke to my bookkeeper, and we think five days
1: is actually more appropriate. You know, that's fine. Exactly. So it is a it is a back and forth. It's absolutely. not a what the lawyer has said is the way it must be. No, and
2: okay. that's the worst thing you can do. And the okay. worst thing you can do as a lawyer as well is to shut your client down. Okay. Now, there are times where I have to go, no, sadly, you cannot do that. That's yeah. not lawful. We cannot yeah. find a way to do that for you. Yeah. But you can do this, you can do that, you yeah. can do this. And we'll, and we'll absolutely give you that advice. Yeah. Or we'll say, we can make it seven days. But your industry standard is five are you sure about this or you you know you we can do this because commercially it makes sense for you but please know that you're exposed
1: on a legal level to do this
2: so we'll we can have those discussions but ultimately it's your decision
1: and so if we and so that's for our terms and conditions for the running of our own business now we if we're signing something from somebody else and i know from my own personal experience like you just said, I can't be bothered to read all of it and I just go ahead and sign. Now, is that am I in a position to come and bring you that yes. agreement and have you say, well, actually, you're signing your life away? Or Yeah.
2: So there are two things that we do. So firstly, please come and see me before you've signed agreement. Okay. Like, try that. See okay. how that works for everyone. <laughs> then at least... And sometimes you can't change it. Like, okay. sometimes if you are a, a baby business and you're doing business with a, a big business... Can't change it, but at least you can understand it. Okay. So I can say to you, look, there this is the terms of the breach, this is how long you locked in for, this is their payment terms. These are the sureties they're asking for, the securities they're asking for. Mm. Do you understand what that means? Mm. Sometimes we just go through a document and we say, "This is. these are your risks. Yeah. Can your business survive these risks? Yeah. If yes, then sign.
1: Yeah. If no, as hard as
2: it may be, walk yeah. away.
1: Now, why are why are terms and conditions written in such a way that it is difficult to understand? Or is that just me? <laughs> it's not just you. Uh, okay. um,
2: they actually shouldn't be. So, under the Consumer Protection Act, all your agreements with... Consumers, so yeah. um, individuals and,
1: and very small businesses, um, should be easy to read. Should be plain language. Yeah, because like uh, above, uh, aforementioned yeah. and here, therefore, and all of that. Kind of, I mean, that just boggles your mind. And like, but even, but even, and I agree with you. I mean, lawyers should be, and
2: we are being. It's a, it's a change in training. Um, we're being trained to write more, um, more in a more plain language way. Look, to be honest, when it comes to very big agreements between, very, between big businesses, there those agreements are almost being written by lawyers for lawyers. Okay. So that's not you're really a big issue. language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And same with your memorandum mm-hmm. incorporation. When you read it, you're going to go, "Wow, oh, this is quite complicated. So your lawyer actually has to sit with you and yeah. go through it. That just mm-hmm. has to happen. Um, but even a plain language agreement can have implications you don't understand. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. Like people will go, oh, it's just a normal lease agreement may be just a normal lease agreement but you still have to understand what a normal lease agreement says okay. because it, your lease for example is a, is a massive risk so let's go through it let's see what you can and can't do yeah
0: okay I'm a huge fan as, as a small business owner of accountability yes. but one of the dangers that I have is that I am I rule supreme in my business I am godlike yeah. in mm-hmm. my business but the reality is I don't know everything so I very often like to make myself accountable Yes. to somebody else especially if they have a bit of the other thing which i also love is mentorship if i'm not a good accountant or i'm not a good lawyer and stuff i'd like to have those people the thought's been crossing my mind would it not make sense for me to have somebody like you sitting as a, a maybe even a, not an official but as a, as a as a form of board member
2: yes i mean big companies have a range of people sitting on their boards mm-hmm. Um, and there are there's legislation that governs what your board must look like and what risk committees and ethics committees and audit committees and things like that. Even if you don't have a board, it may well be worth your while to spend one one hour every three months or yeah. you know to with your attorney to say, look, this is what I'm struggling with. Yeah. How does it work? Yeah. The the difficulty is that people because lawyers don't lawyers give advice. So we don't always... Often that advice is is something that you can't see. Um, Sometimes it is. Sometimes it it looks like a very um, boring piece of paper. Mm. But that's about the most beautiful thing we produce. So people don't feel like they're getting value. But what they don't understand is that by absorbing that information and by making decisions based Mm. on that information, Mm. they save themselves hundreds of thousands of Mm. rands. Mm. And, you know, my background is in distressed businesses. So I Mm. spent 15 years as an insolvency Mm. lawyer watching businesses just hit the wall and hit the wall and hit the wall and now what I do is I take that that those experiences and I make sure that when I look at my clients' agreements, my question to myself and to my client is what is the effect of this were everything to hit the wall? Mm. Mm. Are you protected as an individual? Never mind your business are you protected? Mm. What happens if one of your um, clients hits the wall? Mm. What is that going to do? How does that work? Mm. And those are the kind of questions you should be thinking about all the time. And you're right, I'm the same. I ran Supreme in my business. So I get um, caught up in, in what I'm doing as opposed to asking all the right questions, which is why I have a very good business coach, because mm. that brings me back to mm. humility every two weeks. Yeah.
0: In so about 2005, yeah. I had a partnership of a fairly large company, and my partner came to me and said he'd like to make us accountable to some people. Mm. And what he did is he brought in, I think there were four experts so And there was a lawyer. yeah. And there was an accountant. There was a human resources person. And the, and the fourth one we had was an, a very interesting entrepreneur. guy who just thought left field of everything. And what we did is that once a quarter, we got together and yeah. we showed them our business plans. We showed them our plans. We said what we were going to do. And we actually paid them as if they were the board of directors. We fed them well. And they were really, really nice to them. We, they were probably outranking us in almost every field in terms of their seniority. But the cost-benefit to us yeah, was huge. astronomical. Would you do something like that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Come sit as a de facto board sure. member on a, on a company?
2: Yeah, with a whole lot of, you know... Because it's much cheaper <laughs> with <I> that <think, laughs>
0: Extra crumpets. Extra
2: crumpets, yeah, no, sure. I mean, and your lawyer should be your, your business partner in the, in some senses. We need our independence. Then you understand,
0: maybe it's not something that you're dealing with, but you know where we're going to, what we were thinking. So by the time that it becomes an issue... Let's get back to the, the area in which you just mentioned. As you said, uh, that I don't like that word, distressed. Um, Nobody does. <laughs> but the reality is, is, I mean, I don't know what the actual figures are, but probably seven or eight out of ten businesses probably do hit the wall at some yeah. stage.
2: So I think, I mean, I started as an insolvency lawyer at, um, at ENS, mm-hmm. and my boss there was a, is he's still there, he's a man called Leonard Katz, one of the top insolvency lawyers in the country. And he, he, he was very famous for saying, nothing focuses the mind like a liquidation. And that's absolutely <laughs> true. Like One of the things that I, I enjoy about it, working in the distressed business space, whether it's you liquidating or going into business rescue or going through a turnaround process, whatever that may be, is you are forced to look at your business with laser focus. Mm. What is going on here? Why are we where we are? Can we save this business? If not, how do we deal with the reality of a distressed business in a way that is actually... Positive, which mm-hmm. is a, a weird thing to say. So I do a lot of creditors' work. So I act for creditors um, where there's been an, a liquidation. But I also do a lot of um, directors' work where somebody will come to me and say, "Look, this is the problem with my business." And we will look at their business. And people look at insolvency and they think, "Oh, it's all about running away from your problems." It actually really isn't. The law says if you can't pay everyone, you can't pay some people. You've mm-hmm. got to. It's got to be fair. All right. So there reaches a point where if you continue to trade, you're actually breaking the law. In fact, you are breaking the law. So what we then do is we look at winding down the business or helping that the business owner work in a way that actually maximizes the returns to creditors. Because what people also don't realize is, for example, as an attorney, if I liquidate my practice, I still, need to, I still want to be an attorney. So I have to make sure that all those creditors are actually taken care of. So it's not just a matter of, oh, you know, we're going to run away to Bali with your money. I mean, yeah. sometimes people do that, but <laughs> as a rule. So it's a really technical process. But one of the things that I would have started realizing is that if those businesses had come to me six months or a year ago, I would have been able to save that business yeah. or probably probably been able to save that business. Tell me how you
0: can save a business where the money's not coming. In. How, does okay, that, how does that So,
2: so sometimes, and it wouldn't be me saving the business before mm-hmm. I sound like Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. It's... Um, them the advice to be able to do it so sometimes what you can do is you can go through a business rescue process Mm. so the business rescue is normally something where you can see there's a problem coming six months down the line or longer and then you can maybe get funding into the business Um, maybe the business owner can then put money in as opposed to just endlessly putting money into the business Um, you can't if a business if there's no money coming in and you can see Mm. that your income is declining over a period and you can't fix that then at the very least you can do a managed winding down, mm. because often your business owners have signed... I had one case where one of my clients had signed 33 sureties.
0: Oh my goodness. Mm.
2: And he lost everything. Mm. So we need to have a look at those processes and, and give you advice before um, it all falls apart. And then the thing that I, that I always say to clients is you can't run a business on a cash basis. You have to have an accountant so you can see trends. What's happening with my revenue? Mm. Is my revenue going up? Is it going down? Is my co- are my cost base going up, down? Like what is happening? Mm. If I look at the business with a big picture, but you would be astonished when I say to clients, "Okay, hey, bring me your financials." How many people arrive with an Excel spreadsheet, mm. and that's their financials? Mm. I'm like, uh, no, mm. this is not a financial. So, so people tend to put the grudge purchases like accounting and law on the back burner, but it always, always, always comes back to bite them. Yeah. Always.
1: And so now you've mentioned financial. So where is the line between getting legal advice versus financial advice? Like because you've you've already touched on that you get you do get involved with the finances. So how do we know who to turn to? So I don't get involved in the finances in the sense that I don't give financial advice and
2: I'm not an accountant. I have a business science undergraduate degree, so I have an understanding of business, but I'm not an accountant. So if I get a business that's struggling, I will work with an accountant, sometimes a client's accountant, sometimes an independent expert, to look at the viability of that business from a legal and from an accounting Mm. position. Um, But if you are taking financial advice from your lawyer, you will go bankrupt.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's good legal advice. Yeah, don't take
1: financial advice from a lawyer. Okay. (laughs) All right, glad we cleared that
0: up. Fantastic. Is there any way, I used the word earlier on when we were chatting called future-proofing. Yeah future-proofing my business. Do you want to expand on that? Tell me what that means.
2: Yeah, so I gave it a lot of thought before coming up with, with with that term because we work and live in a very uncertain time, economically, financially, politically. And as a result, there's no buffer in your business. If you make a mistake, for most people, for most uh, um, smaller businesses, if you make a mistake, that can be the end of you. So it's about doing everything you can to ensure that your business can survive the uncertain future. And our experience with dealing with businesses that have failed um, allows us to be able to say to a business owner, these are the things that you have got to do if you want to sail through these hard times. And it's been such a privilege to be able to get involved at that level um, and see people really come into their own in their businesses because they feel more confident. Mm. Their agreements are right, and their mm. and their um, terms and conditions are right. And they're seeing an attorney often. They're seeing an accountant often, and it just gives them more buoyancy mm. within opera- operating within the current mm. economic climate. Mm-hmm.
1: You've just touched on my key word of confidence, and I'm completely convinced. And I know that I need to. Make an appointment as soon as we're done here to get all of my terms and <laughs> conditions and things sorted out because I need that business confidence. And yeah. I think everybody does. Absolutely. And the difficulty is,
2: you know, we, we get caught up in in running our businesses and making the money and doing what we need to do in order to survive. But but the, you need to also look at what happens when things change. Mm-hmm. So often I see businesses who have been operating for 20 years but mm-hmm. then lose a key client and they can't recover. So when you're looking at your terms and conditions it's things like how often does this contract get renewed so if yeah. you know your contract's up for renewal mm-hmm. in 5 months time you need to start now sorting yeah. sorting things out getting your tax clearance certificates and yeah. and all of those things so it it really makes a difference if you if you are forward thinking as yeah. opposed to just dealing with what's happening now
1: yeah so it is like our six monthly dental yeah. appointment uh, we mean in just a critical yeah. our calendars, that it's time to touch base.
0: Yeah. Hmm. I've okay. got a, quite a few takeaways from today. Oh, so me too. I, I think the one is that I, I think I need a lawyer much closer to my business.
1: Yeah.
0: Maybe even as a director. Yeah. I think for me that's quite a good one. I'd love to continue this conversation at a later stage. Sure. And, and and the area that I already see that I'd like to do is to break it down even, even further and say, if I was starting a business, these would be the five legal things that I would consider sure. and possibly documents I would draw Abigail, anything from your side?
1: No, like I said, I mean, what I, I'm so grateful that you've shared with us such valuable information today. And, and for me, my takeaway is that I need to get my ducks in a row and that there's no more avoiding it and hoping for the best <laughs> and hoping that nothing serious happens and that I'm running to your door in a state of urgency and, you know, stress. So um, that's my next thing is making an appointment to get all of my things sorted out. So thank you for that.
0: Robin, thank you you for your valuable time. Anything from your side?
2: No, just thank you for the opportunity and have a good weekend. Awesome.
0: That was Legally Savvy with Robin Hay. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Abigail. And to the rest of you, we'll see you in one week's time. Thank you for joining us this week. If you would like to listen to past episodes of the podcast, please visit www.powerfulbeyondmeasure.co.za and don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss out.
1: We would love your comments and questions, and if there are any subjects that you would like us to discuss, please let us know.
0: I am André de Toy, and I am the Big Point.
1: And I am Abigail Kay, the Confidence Crusader. Never forget that you are powerful beyond measure.